Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and thanks for joining us at Back to the Bible Canada. Today we continue our current series with guest speaker, Pastor Rob Goddard, with a series entitled, Amazing Grace, More Than I'd Imagined. Today, Pastor Goddard will share what it means to be schooled by grace. So let's open our Bibles to Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 15, as we begin. What a privilege it has been to be with you on Back to the Bible Canada this week. A privilege to open the Word of God, but also to be a part of a ministry that so values the preaching of the Word of God, so values God's Word. And I so appreciate also Dr. John Newfelt and his ministry. Grace is truly amazing. And if we don't understand how amazing grace is, so often it will leave us with a shallow, cheap Christian life. And God wants so much more for us. He has so much more for us. We saw in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, that we are saved by grace. It leads us from being wretched in sin, dead in sin, under the wrath of God, to experiencing the wealth of His grace. We've been sculpted by grace. We're His work of art overwhelming his work of art created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. God's grace is truly amazing. Not that long ago, the rainfall in Southern California one winter was overwhelming. There became potential dangers of mudslides and truly was a nightmare for those living on hills as the rain took away from what they thought was the security of a mountain. One family, while still in their home, a wave of mud tore through the house and cut it in half, literally sweeping a sleeping baby out into the night. The parents began to search through the darkness for the child, tromping through the mire and muck that had descended upon their whole neighborhood. They searched and dug and called for their child throughout the long night, weeping and looking and weeping and looking without results. When morning came, a rescuer himself, covered in mud, came to the parents with a mud-caked bundle in his arms. The baby, filthy but alive. And you know what that mother then did? She clung to her child despite its filth, washed the muck away and determined to keep that child out of the mud in the future. God's grace not only saves us and transforms us, God's grace schools us. I love the little saying, God loves us as we are, but loves us too much to leave us that way. The key to grasping this biblical understanding of grace is to Understand that God's grace does not end at conversion, does not end at sculpting us, but actually carries on and impacts our entire life. In fact, the way the Bible describes the life of the Christian is in the context of grace. We have defined grace as God's free, unmerited favor shown to guilty sinners who deserve only judgment. This definition of grace includes that salvation so joyful. It includes the transformation and it includes not only all of life, but as we saw from Ephesians 2, 7, for all eternity, we will be trophies of grace. 
The better we understand grace, the more we can experience it, and the more we experience grace, the more our lives will be lived for the glory of our King, the more our relationship with Jesus Christ will drive and define us. My longing for the Church of Jesus Christ in Canada and around the world is that we would be authentic, that our lives would be filled with the richness of what it means to follow Jesus and to be obedient to his word, that we would be in the world, but not of the world. And the only possible way for us to get there in victory is to understand and experience the amazing grace of God. Today, we'll be looking at a passage from Titus chapter 2. It's one of those passages that calls us to understand in a deeper way and experience in a more profound way the grace of God. Here is what it says. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his very own possession who are zealous for good works." Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Well, to be true to this passage, some of what we will cover today will be review. We notice first in this passage that grace is for salvation or grace brings about salvation. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all people. It's something we can experience, something we can respond to, something we can rejoice in. This word appeared in Greek literature was a word that functioned as a technical term for describing a a hero breaking into a helpless situation to rescue someone from danger. It could describe, for example, someone going into the mud, endangering themselves from other mudslides to save a helpless baby. Here it describes something even more profound than that. It describes what God has done for us in salvation. Maybe the best one-verse summary in the Bible of what this looks like is 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the most incredible concept that anyone could ever hear or experience in their life. Jesus, the Messiah, gave himself up for us who deserve no more than eternal death. This is hard to grasp because usually we compare ourselves with others. It's, it's hard to understand that we need saving because so often we think we're pretty good people. Amazing grace, how normal the sound that saved a pretty good person like me. In grasping the greatness of grace, we have seen that we need to understand what we need to be saved from. The, the wrath of God that's a response to sin and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is so important for us to understand and experience it because if we don't, then the rest of what we will study will not make sense. Grace is for salvation. But secondly, this text tells us something rich and profound. It says that grace brings sanctification. I know sanctification is a big word, but what we mean by it here is that grace helps us in our pursuit of holiness. Grace helps us in our seeking to be obedient to Jesus in all of life. 
For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to, now I'll just stop for a minute there, what is it or who is it that is training us? In this case, notice it is referring to the grace of God. The grace of God becomes the one that is schooling us or training us or in this case, bringing us to the point of repentance from ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. As wonderful as saving grace is, there is so much more. And it's not only getting us out of what we deserve, eternity in hell, it's bringing us into a relationship with the living God who changes us. God is saying in this intimate and immense conversion that he will not leave us muddy, that his grace will not only bring us out of a life of death as objects of wrath, but into a pursuit of holiness. Grace is then our teacher. We're saved by grace. We live by grace. We're schooled by grace. It teaches us actively to say no to ungodliness. Well, ungodliness is referring here directly to our conduct. It's a a lack of true reverence, of true devotion to God. Grace says, I will not allow you to live in this way. It's saying that as believers, we must not only discipline ourselves to follow what the Bible teaches, but grace itself will help us to experience victory in our battle with ungodliness. It also helps say no to worldly passions. These are internal desires that are not deep enough to go to God, things that go against what our loving God would desire that is on the surface of our lives. Oh, that we as Christians would understand and be in the school of grace as it teaches us to say no, but not only no, it also teaches us to say yes, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Being self-controlled is a mindset. It describes, as one scholar says, a mind that has been set in proper balance, having gained mastery over itself through salvation, which frees it from the shackles of sin. Uprightness refers to our conduct, how we live. You see, grace saves us and it teaches us to say no and it teaches us to say yes. Godly lives refers to our relationship with the King of Kings and it shows us how to live in victory with Him. Grace then teaches us inward or self-control, outward or uprightness, and upward or godly living. I love the school of grace. When God saves us by grace, he never intended for us to remain the same. Grace changes us from our old ways of living, thinking, and being. And as we unpack these verses in Titus 2, we begin to realize the magnitude of what this means. It requires a life of discipline and dependence upon God as we pursue godliness. When we come back, Pastor Rob explains how grace also brings ultimate satisfaction and so much more. Thanks so much for joining us. I know many of you listening have been supporting Back to the Bible Canada, and I'm so grateful for your partnership. And if you haven't yet made that commitment, can I personally invite you to consider becoming a monthly partner? By doing so, your faithful support makes this daily Bible teaching program available to be heard right across the country. We're so grateful for all of those who have stood beside us and give so graciously every month. Perhaps you'd consider becoming a part of this essential group of partners. Together, let's partner to tell. For more information, please visit backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425. 
2425. And now let's return to our series on Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me and didn't leave me in the mud of my own mire, but made me a new creation, God's work of art, and now at work in me, not only for salvation and sanctification. But we notice next in Titus chapter 2 that God's grace brings satisfaction. Look at verse 13 of our text. It says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his very own possession who are zealous for good works. There are some that think that Christians should be those who curb their desires. I disagree. And the Bible disagrees. In fact, the Bible would say we need to sharpen our desires and be those who find satisfaction in Jesus. In fact, if you study the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 2 outlines this shocking thing for the whole universe to see on display. Be shocked, be appalled, O heavens, Jeremiah 2, 12 to 13. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and dug for themselves cisterns that don't hold water at all. See, it's not that our desires are too small. It's that Our desires aren't big enough, and we find satisfaction in the mud puddles rather than on the beach and with the glory of God. We need to be a people who are fixing our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. The NIV translation of this verse misses the eager anticipation of our waiting. There's this this anticipation, this waiting with deep desire. The Greek word here carries with it not only the meanings of this waiting, but longing, deep, intimate desire, eager and certain expectations. And this is incredible. Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, is coming back. He's coming again in glory. He came as a servant. He will return as the king. He came to suffer. He will come back to rule. And because of his grace working in our lives, we can anticipate this with joy. This is what we look forward to, this wondrous event and reunion of intimacy that is deep beyond our most glorious imagination. In this appearing of our God, we will find our deliverance, our freedom, our hope, our joy, everything that we find here now in part, then in full. And so many are wandering around and saying, I can't get no satisfaction. They're living out the Rolling Stones song because they're in the wrong place. They've dug for themselves cisterns that don't hold water. Here's what the Bible is teaching. The Bible is saying, by by grace, realize what is to come is so overwhelmingly profound that it will allow us to live our lives with joy here in the midst of any circumstance. In his paper, The Weight of Glory, here's what C.S. Lewis says, if there lurks in most modern minds the notion to think that we desire our own good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it, that that's a bad thing. I submit that this notion has crept in from Kant and the Stoics and is no part of the Christian faith. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. 
We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. A little aside, I want us to notice in this verse that Jesus is called God. This is one of those passages that show us the divinity of Jesus and call us to worship him. He is our great God and Savior. Grace, then, is for salvation, sanctification, satisfaction. And lastly, it is for starvation. Look at verse 14 and and notice the strength with which this verse portrays our pursuit of doing good. Who gave himself for us, that's talking about salvation, to redeem us from all lawlessness, that's talking about changing us or sanctification, to purify for himself a people for his own possession, owned by Yahweh, owned by Jesus who are zealous for good works. We hear the word zeal, sometimes we think of it in our modern culture in a negative way. It's this all-consuming passion. This describes those who have been schooled by grace as those who have an all-consuming passion for good works. Here's the order, the verse repeating itself. God redeemed us, we're bought with a price. God cleansed us, he died to purify for himself, a people who are his very own. We are in Christ, the depth of intimacy, of love, of ownership, amazing grace. It's so profound. And again, we could spend another entire week on verse 14, but our time is coming to a close. Jesus receives all of the glory. The Christian life is all of grace, and he not only owns us in the school of grace, He causes us to be a people who have this eager, zealous longing to do what he desires, good as defined by him. A people who are his very own. Exodus 19, God calls his people his treasured possession. This would be a reminder for those who know the Old Testament of this incredible reality. Jesus has paid it all. Jesus now delights in us and owns us all. And we, in response to that, are all his, eager to do what he desires, eager to do life as he wants, as defined in this text by the word good. And so today our longing is that we would be not satisfied with mediocre Christianity, mediocre grace, accepted grace, how normal the sound, but that it would overwhelm us that we would experience its richness not only in the love of God, but then as something that has saved us. Today, as you listen, would you define your life if you are a follower of Jesus as someone who is zealous for good works? Would you define your life as as someone who's just kind of living from day to day, not experiencing the richness of God's grace? Today is an opportunity for you. Not only to meditate on Titus chapter 2, not only to experience the richness of God's grace for salvation, but also to anticipate in light of that richness the love that he has for you, the plan he has for you, and now with discipline and passion, the pursuit of that plan. Maybe you're listening today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You might have claimed that you do. You might attend church. I did for 19 years claiming to know Jesus, spending time in the Bible, going to Bible camps, being a counselor, leading other people to Jesus, but in my heart, not yet fully devoted. 
in my heart missing out on the richness of His amazing grace. And if that's where you're at, you look at your life and you're just not sure. You've heard from this text the importance of what grace teaches, what to say no to, what to say yes to, and yet in your own life you are so busy with other things that you don't allow grace to school you. Then today, take the time to meditate on those no's and yeses and ask God to so richly work in your life that you'll understand afresh or maybe for the first time what it means to be saved by grace, set apart by Grace, zealous for good works by grace. And this text demands also that we ask the question, are we eagerly awaiting what is to come, the return of our glorious Savior? Are we longing for Jesus to return, or are we so content with the pablum of life that we've lost this passion? For us as those who have experienced the grace of God as it is revealed in scripture at its true depth, we will have this delight, this passion, this satisfaction. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Well, there is just so much we can learn and apply about grace. Indeed, our Bible is full of the doctrine of grace. And here we've gained a better understanding of how this grace disciplines and trains us for godly living. We're encouraged and convicted all at the same time, reminded of our infinite need for His grace and to identify those areas of life where we need to know and grow more like Christ. I hope that you'll join us again tomorrow for this series with Pastor Rob as he shares with us how to be strengthened by God's grace. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. Every day, millions of young people spend time downloading or viewing apps on their mobile phones. They're absorbing enormous amounts of digitized content, reading articles, watching videos, playing games, chatting with their peers, and so on. All this fast-paced, instantaneous technology captures their attention and imaginations. But not all of what they consume is beneficial. Because of our deep desire and commitment to bring God's voice into the lives of young adults, the Ministry of In Doubt launched a unique mobile app in 2014 designed to speak into the relevant life issues young people face every day. Through various creative mediums, they're given an opportunity to look closer into the Word of God for biblical answers and supportive conversations. Over the past year, God has opened the door for us to impact the lives of many young people right across the country and even internationally. So we couldn't be more excited about announcing the release of the next generation of In Doubt this fall. We're anticipating expanded resources, more engaging mediums, insightful and interactive conversations with some of Canada's most insightful Bible teachers. So stay tuned for more information, and in the meantime, check out what we're up to at indoubt.ca. And for more information or to send a gift to support all the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, visit backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425. 
2425.